scripture reading this morning will be from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 21 through 23, and I'll be reading from the New American Standard. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. I'd like to take a moment and add my word of welcome. It's good to see so many of you here this morning on such a beautiful day. We know you have a, a choice of where you spend your time, and we're thankful that you choose to spend your time with us here at Westside. We're especially thankful for all our visitors and our audience. We want you to know that here at Westside, our one and only goal is to help each other find our way into heaven, and that this is our one and only map and blueprint for that journey. And so we always want this to be the source that we go to. And should I say anything this morning that you question or do not find to be scriptural, then come speak with me and let's talk about it and let's sit down and look at the scriptures and we can learn and grow together to be better servants for Christ. <clears throat> this week we are continuing our ongoing series discussing the favorite hymns for Westside. And for our visitors who don't know, late last year we polled the membership of the Westside congregation to tell us your top 12 hymns from our, hymn, from our hymn books. And Brother Josh compiled all of that data and put together a list, and surprisingly, everyone's top 12 came in a list of about 50 songs. It was actually a fairly close thing. And so what we have done is some of us song leaders have taken the top 12 hymns on that list, and once a month, we're preaching on one of those hymns. So as you progress through the year, you get higher up the list. I want to take a moment and add my excitement to that which has already been expressed by Josh and Kyle. You know, this is our chance as song leaders to connect with you on a level that as song leaders maybe we don't typically get to. The beautiful thing about collecting all these songs, all of your favorite hymns, is that these are also our favorite hymns as well. You know, when, uh, if you were to see the list, which we've printed off lists of, of all 50 hymns that made the list and put them in the foyer, Every song on there is an amazing song, and it's always such a joy to sing them. And I can tell you that even though we are now only in month three of our journey, it's only going to get better from here as we progress up the list. Taking time to break down some of these hymns on a singular basis not only helps us to better understand the hymns, I think, but also it can help us to perhaps connect with each other a little better. It is my opinion that music is one of the greatest blessings that God has ever provided for mankind. And I feel that uniting in song is perhaps only secondary to maybe breaking bread together for building and reinforcing those bonds together. I think that one could spend their entire lives dedicated to seeking out wonderful and beautiful hymns to sing as songs of praise and worship to God, and it would not be a life wasted. So today, we're going to talk about the number 10 spot on our top 12, which is number 4 in our hymns for worship. Don't know if I'm... Ah, yeah, Blessed Assurance. First, though, indulge me in just a, a little more context. I think, as a song leader, that it is incumbent upon us to help facilitate 
a good worship experience. We want to do our best to provide a seamless service, and it's one that's free of distraction in order to help you better maintain a proper worshipful state of mind. In many cases, a good song leader will try to marry the songs to whatever the given sermon topic is, and Kyle selected some really great songs this morning. I'm thankful for that, and I kind of have to share a story. Uh, Back when Brother Mike O'Neill was still preaching before he retired, there was a, uh, I don't know, kind of a random series of events that for about four months in a row, it seemed like the way things always lined up, uh, you know, week one might be uh, Christ and the family, and week two might be a discussion about something in Acts, or week three might be something about from the book of Daniel, and it would, without fail, I'd go to hit Mike up for my week, which would be like week four or whatever. Mike, what's your sermon topic? Oh, it's going to be Moses' eating habits during the wilderness wandering years. I've made that joke before. Um, Sometimes it's really difficult to find songs that match the sermon topic. And so the song leader kind of either has to improvise or take a different tack. They can always uh, come up with songs that maybe teach a secondary message or something else that they think the song leader should be, wants the people to know. I think most, the most resourceful song leaders also have the ability to take a given hymn and find new ways, new and interesting ways to apply it to different sermons. When you hear guys like Kyle and Dave, or Dane Shepard, uh, take multiple hymns and combine them into medleys, they're displaying an absolute mastery of these messages and the ability to deliver them in a way that is often a more powerful sum than just its parts. They can make it a new message in some ways or a more, provide more context. The song leaders have a few other tools in their kit to help accomplish some of these. In order to draw attention to something specific, we might slow down in a certain place. We could add a fermata, which is a hole, the little fisheye thing you see sometimes, over a certain word, or maybe adjust the volume, either louder or softer, in order to encourage some context. He might cut a verse, or conversely, he might sing only a single verse in order to draw attention to a specific piece of the message. In many cases, though, I feel like most of our complete hymns will lend themselves well enough to different topics, and blessed assurance is definitely among those. As my wife will no doubt attest, and I'm sorry she's not here this morning to back this up, I do greatly love enjoy do greatly love enjoy and and enjoy sorry talking about the minute details of songs that I love, the little details that most people care absolutely nothing about, and I'm sure the other musicians in the crowd, like the younger Good Nights and Dennis and Marissa can definitely understand that. And with that in mind, I hope I can be forgiven for not spending too much time discussing the actual etymology of this hymn, except to say that uh, the composer, Fanny J. Crosby, was an extremely gifted and prolific hymn writer, and she was also blind. If you glance in the back of our hymnals, you can find a topical index that breaks down every hymn in the book by category, and this index is indispensable to those of us who lead songs. Once we discover what the sermon topic is going to be, we can just glance back through this index and find the applicable topics in all the songs that are underneath it. In the case of Blessed Assurance, it occupies two categories, assurance, no surprise there, and testimony. I feel the verses tend to lend themselves more to the assurance part, while the chorus itself, I think, is kind of more the testimony. It's up to personal interpretation. 
the three verses of Blessed Assurance are actually pretty short, but I think those verses do a wonderful job of telling the beauty of the grace that is imparted to mankind, of the hope that we find in salvation, excuse me, and the expectation of a future spent in the presence of the all-consuming love of Christ. If one repents their sins, is baptized, and places their faith, their purpose, and their life solely in Jesus Christ, salvation can be found. And I'll be talking about the salvation and the process thereof a lot, so I hope everybody has it figured out by the end. <clears throat> we were able to experience a taste of the everlasting water and become heirs of a promise to eternity which is spent exempt from the suffering that we previously experienced under the bondage of sin. Born on earth of flesh, it seems the destiny of mankind to remain as a debtor to the wages of sin, which is death. But Christ gave up his life so that we could be born again into a new life, one bought, ransomed, and dedicated to God alone. And it's in this moment of submission, when we answer the gospel, that our story begins and a new song can be sung, a story that testifies of the work accomplished by the author of our salvation and gives praises to the God of whom our souls owe the newness of their new life. Blessed Assurance is one of my favorite hymns and I was really excited to see it make the list. Now let's break down the verses. The first verse, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Assurance means to be certain and confident, to be free from doubt. A blessed assurance is a holy or sacred confidence. It's an unshakable certainty of the truth that Jesus is mine. He is our Lord and our Savior forever. We can also be assured that it is by his Son that God will judge the world. In Acts chapter 17, <clears throat> Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, Verses 30 and 31 say, Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance, there's that word, of this to all by raising him from the dead. And so it's pointing out that as God did for his own son, we can be assured that he will do this for us also. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Foretaste is a preview of what God has planned for us. The gift of salvation and the new life we have with Jesus is a tiny glimpse of the glory to come in heaven. The disciple John caught a glimpse of this glory, and he wrote about it in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 21, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 23 says, The city had no need of a sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is the light. John's tale in Revelation is a pretty fantastical one, and it's full of really big ideas and concepts that seem really weird to us in some ways. But I think he did his noble best to describe things in a way that we could understand it. But I have little doubt that the true glory that we will witness in heaven cannot possibly begin to be justified by words given by man. So heir of salvation purchase of God. We are the heirs of Christ, the Son of God. He bought us with his blood that he shed on the cross. In Galatians, book of Galatians, chapter 4, 
Book of Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent for you the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir to God through Christ. It's because God sacrificed his only son that we can become the heirs to salvation. Born of a spirit, washed in his blood. In John chapter 3, verse 7, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. When he says this, he's referring to being born again of the spirit. When we believe, confess, and are baptized into his spirit, we were born through his power and can become entirely new. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and you'll want to bookmark that because we're going to be coming back to it very shortly. In verse 17, we read, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is new. Excuse me. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We become new because Jesus lived a perfect life and willingly died for us. Now, I think in the modern vernacular, the idea of being washed in the blood is really a kind of a bit dark. But in a biblical sense, it's a beautiful image of our sin-sick souls being washed, <coughs> excuse me, being purified by the blood, the perfect blood of Christ. He takes our sins and he makes us clean again through his righteousness. Ever since the old law, sin has demanded a blood sacrifice. In Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22, it says, According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And over in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, it says, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, I think I pushed buttons and, and got away from myself here. Second verse. <clears throat> perfect submission, perfect delight. When we submit to Christ and surrender our hearts to him, then we can find that true joy, that perfect delight, as the song says. We know that earthly things will only provide temporary pleasure. But knowing the perfect love and forgiveness of Jesus can give us eternal peace. Submission to God is often easier said than done, however, I think as we all know. I've heard it said that sin is roots rebellion. And when we rebel, it is our pride that tells God, I will live my life my way. But following Jesus requires submitting to him and denying our own selfish bent. We can't achieve 100% perfect submission here on earth, but when we do submit, when we do yield to Christ, we can experience that joy. And this is a choice that we have to make every day, and not just every day, but throughout the day as well. Sometimes it can be a momentary thing. How many times throughout the day are you faced with a series of decisions where you can either make the decision between what seems right and what is right, and then moments later have to make the same decision over again? It can be an, an ongoing thing. 
In John chapter 10 and verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Paul expressed kind of the opposite side of that coin over in Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8, when he said, Yet indeed I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Paul understood, and I think he might have understood better than most of us, that he had to shed the trappings of this world in order to be able to better follow Jesus. And this just wasn't physical things or activities. It also included old thinking. His old ways as a, as a Pharisee were of no use to him, and everything that he learned during that time served him nothing with Christ. He also talked about it with the Corinthians in his second letter to them, and we touched on 2 Corinthians 5 a little earlier, and now I'd like to add some surrounding verses to that. Back over in 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 16, he says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, which we read earlier. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled himself to us through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. When we're baptized and raised to walk in newness of life, we mark the death of our old selves that was married to the world, and we celebrate our new selves and our marriage to Christ. Visions of rapture, now burst on my sight, angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy and whispers of love. Now, it's kind of hard to say exactly what Miss Crosby was thinking when she wrote this line. Given that Miss Crosby was blind for more or less her entire life, it would seem to me that maybe she's saying that when heaven would be the first thing that she would see, that it would fill her with a sense of rapture or joy. Another thought is that just as God promised assurance to Jacob at Bethel by the dream of the ladder upon which the angels ascended and descended, so he promises the same assurance to us. In the book of Genesis, book of Genesis chapter 28, chapter 28, verses 12 through 15, we read, Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there were angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. 
When God made this promise to Jacob, he said, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And this includes us as well. We have access to the blessing of the love and mercy of Jesus, and it was promised to us thousands of years before any of us were ever born. So we can hear his echoes of mercy in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Find mercy because the wages of sin are death, and it should be all that we are due, but through the love of Christ Jesus, And through his salvation, we can avoid that fate. We can hear the whispers of his love over in 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God has manifested for us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this... Is, in this love, is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. No greater love could be offered than God's sacrifice of his perfect son for our hope for salvation. Verse 3. Perfect submission, all is at rest. Once we yield to Christ, it is at last well with our souls, as the song would say. We can have the peace trusting in God's plan and not our own. We can trust him to guide us with love and wisdom. Because of the assurance God gives to those who are in Christ, we can have the promise of eternal life. In 1 John, 1 John chapter 5, First John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13 say, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and the life is in his Son. He who is in the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, John's not trying to convince these people to believe in Christ. He's, the people he's talking to are already believers. And he's telling them that they already have the prospect and access to hope of eternal life. And that's something that we can have when we are baptized into Christ. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. You don't have to switch over there, but Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 27 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. It's possible for us to experience the joy of having a relationship with Christ regardless of our earthly circumstances. It doesn't matter what household you're born into, what your nationality is, or what you believed before. If you believe, we can all be adopted into him and it's because of our willingness to submit to Christ we can then become in Christ watching and waiting looking above in Matthew chapter 24 in verse 42 
Matthew chapter 4 and verse 24 and verse 42, Christ reminds us that watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Once we answer the gospel, we can spend the rest of our lives preparing and waiting for that great day with happiness and joy versus fear and trepidation. Looking ahead to an eternity with Christ and the saints, we might not know the actual day, but if we follow God's word and we focus on having a godly mindset, then we can do our best to be prepared. And ultimately, I don't think our hope is really much different than what the patriarchs were experiencing when it was talked about in Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, In verses 13 through 16, we read, These all died in faith, having not received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have probably had the opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he has prepared a city for them. Think about that for a moment. From as far back as Exodus, how many in the Old Testament in those early days lived in faith and yet did not live to step into the promised land? For men like Abraham and Jacob, Isaac and Joseph, they were never destined to actually see the land, but they believed. Moses, I'm sure, until very late, probably thought he would get a chance to step into the land. But he at least got to see it before he died. Filled with his goodness, lost in his love. When we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit through baptism, God's goodness and fruits can begin to be seen in us. Over in Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, Excuse me. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. I think it's pretty significant to point out that all these gifts are not earthly ones, if you think about it. It'd be easy enough to promise us things like big homes and nice cars or some other riches, but the very fact that these things are absent from this list is very telling and I think reminds us of where our focus needs to be. And at last, we come to the chorus. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This has gone very quickly and I apologize for not preaching longer today, but I suspect that if if I'm preaching in a shorter amount of time, that means that you guys will just meditate on the message for that much longer, right? In the light of all the truth that has been taught in this song, how can we not praise him all the day long? For those who believe and answer the gospel, this is our song. We are loved, and through Christ we can find redemption and be rescued. This is my story. This is my song. Such a powerful declaration of allegiance and praise. The spiritual gifts offered to us by God through his son, Jesus Christ, are without limit, and it's a treasure without price. 
And this can be your story and your song as well. Fanny's message in this song can speak to you just as it spoke to her. Jesus made this blessed assurance available for all, but first we must seek Christ out and make him the focus of our lives. If you want the assurance of the blessings of Christ's love for us, we're here today to help you on that journey. Once you've heard Christ's story and you truly believe that he is the son of the living God, then repent of your sins and be washed in Christ's blood through baptism and be raised to walk in the newness of life, going back out into the world, singing your song of blessed assurance to Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ. Or maybe life has taken its toll on you and you've lost your song. If you've answered the gospel but have fallen by the wayside, we're still here to help. Let us pray with you and help you to rededicate yourself to a life for Christ. After all, one voice singing in praise to God is a wonderful thing. But when all of our voices are united together to sing of our love to Christ, it is one of the most powerful and beautiful things that we can ever experience on this earth. If there's any way that we can help you today, we beg you, please come forward as we stand and sing.